but you put down your down payment now you have this equity and now you can take that same dollar pull it out of this house and put it in another property right so absolutely if somebody doesn't have debt they could take out a home equity loan or they could do a cash out refi they could take that money and purchase another property absolutely Welcome to the Aid to Assets podcast, the ultimate podcast for aspiring real estate investors. I'm your host, Tiffany Watson. Join me as we discuss real estate investing for nine to fivers. We'll talk about everything from money mindsets and property ownership and different strategies you can use to invest in real estate. I want to empower investors, especially those of us who are working full time, who want to navigate the world of real estate, uncover the secrets to building wealth, generate passive income to achieve financial freedom. Equip yourself with resources from experts, practical tips, and step-by-step guides on how to kickstart your real estate journey. We'll also hear from nine to fivers who started to build their own portfolios, what they did and how they did it, so you can do it too. Tune in and transform your main job into your biggest silent investor in your real estate investment business. This is your Aid to Assets. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Aid to Assets podcast with your host, Tiffany Watson. I am here because I get the honor and privilege to interview nine to fivers that have made the shift into real estate investing and the successful people who helped them to make their investment dreams possible. And so today I have my friend Kevin here. Kevin's going to tell us how we get the bag to pay for all of these properties. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Tiffany? I am wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, Listen, I'm equally excited. I couldn't wait for this day. It's here and I'm ready to go. Love it. So before we jump into all the wisdom that I know you're going to drop on us, why don't you tell the people who you are and the work that you do? Sure. So my name is Kevin Bullock. I am a uh, branch manager and senior mortgage loan officer for Crown Home Mortgage. I've been in the industry now for almost 20 years. And I'm your lender. I'm your mortgage guy. Everybody says, do you have a guy? I'm your guy. I'm your mortgage guy. And like Tiffany said, I help you get the bag. (laughs) Yes, you always need a guy, y'all. Kevin is my guy. I send people to him all the time. He's going to walk you through the entire step of the process. So let's start from the very beginning. Like, Why is it important for folks to have a lender? What do they come to you for from the jump? So it's important to have a lender because we are really the middleman between you and the bank. Unless you are purchasing this property with cash, you need to take out a loan from a financial institution. And I'm that middleman. I'm the one that's going to look at your assets, look at your liabilities, look at your your income, your credit, and help determine how much you can actually qualify for and what program will best fit your needs. So it's really important to have a lender because without that information, you may go in blindly and not know that, you know, there are other options for you, right? So I like to call myself, I I am the one that's going to present you with all of these options that's going to best fit what you need, right? Because you and I could be looking at the same property, but we can have separate needs, You know, what's important for you may not be as important to me. What you need to make this happen may be different than what I need to make this happen. My job is to have that conversation with you, figure out what the need is, and then present you with the options to meet that need. 
Love it. Love it. Okay. So when you talk about need, so if I am someone, I know I want to start investing and you know, we all love Zillow. We got Zillow on our phone. We looking at houses, we scrolling, trying to see what's what before I even start thinking about that. When should I be connecting with you? You should be connected with me as soon as you think that you want to start investing. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Right. In the very, very beginning stages, because again, we're going to help you navigate your way to the money. So instead of going out, because the first thing people do is they go to Zillow, they go to homes.com, they go to Trulia, Redfin, right? They go to all these sources and they find these properties not knowing whether or not they can afford it or whether or not this is going to be a good financial fit for their portfolio. Mm -hmm. But when you come to the lender, we're able to look at your situation, look at your scenario and say, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Borrower, if you do your finances like this, you conduct your finances in this manner, we can get you into this home. So it's important to talk to us in the very, very beginning. Okay, so that means y'all need to call Kevin in the jump, from the jump. We're going to have make sure his contact information is in the description of this video. So let's talk about how do I know I am ready to purchase a property? What is, is there a certain profile or what does that look like? So I don't know if there is a, like a cookie cutter response to this, but I will say some things to, to know that, okay, I, I may be ready to have this conversation, okay. right, with a lender is if you are number one in the right mindset, the my, the right mind frame in order to make this purchase. Because you don't want to be too emotionally charged because it's real estate, it's mortgages, right? And so properties come and go, the market interest rates fluctuate. So you want to make sure that you have the right mindset going into this whole process that sometimes things may not go your way. Sometimes you may get outbid on a property that you really, really like. Sometimes you might get the offer, your offer might get accepted, your financing is secure, but as you do your inspections, you realize maybe this is not the property that you thought it was, right? So it's having the right mindset to understand that things can go wrong, things can go left, but but I can pivot and still do what I need to do. So that's number one. Number two, I would say is making sure that you have put together your budget and your financial statement to ensure your financial peace when going into investing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not enough to just say, hey, I own all these properties, but you're stressed out every day because you're overhead. We don't want that. We don't operate in stress and distress, right? We operate in knowledge and we operate in wisdom as we're pursuing our financial goals. So we want to make sure that we understand what our numbers are. Everybody mm-hmm. numbers are different. Everybody's risk capacity is different. Their tolerance is different. So you want to know what is your risk tolerance? What is your financial capacity? And just and it, you don't have to know it to a T, but just kind of have a good understanding of what this takes and understanding that you're now could potentially be a landlord or if you're looking to fix and flip, you know, what does that entail? How long am I going to have to hold this property and ensuring that it's not going to mess me up? on my own and personally and financially. Love that. Love that. So first the mindset, we got to get our mind right. And then we need to make sure that we understand our numbers. So let's unpack that a little bit more. When you work with 
especially new investors in the past. And they're having to shift that mindset from a lot of people when we think about real estate, it's, oh, I'm buying my dream home. This is this is my my favorite property. I'm gonna live in forever versus this is a this is a business essentially that I am investing in that is going to produce income. What do you see people need to do in order to be able to make that shift from that HGTV mine to I'm starting a real estate business? Well, the first thing is to not listen to everything you see on <laughs> and hear on HGTV, you know, because sometimes the imagery, right, it gives a false narrative to what the real world of investing looks looks like. Yeah, right? yeah. And so you want to try to get some real world experience. Every state almost, yeah, I say every state has like a local real estate investment organization, mm-hmm. right? I would advise you to join your local organizations because in those organizations, you have other investors, beginners, those that have been in the game a little bit, and then some really experienced, savvy investors. And just being in that circle, right? Being in the same room with those other individuals and other people of like minds can really help you get your questions answered, maybe find out, oh, I didn't realize that you have to do this. I didn't know that you have to do that, right? So I would say the first thing you should do is is seek out those that are doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you can find that out. Wherever you're at, you can find it out. You put it in a local real estate investment association or organization. And sometimes there's several. And just visit. You don't have to join right away. You can join as visit as a guest and just kind of get the intel about what's going on because there's so many different facets of investing, right? You have uh, purchasing property to hold it and rent it out. And mm-hmm. then even in that, you have long-term leases, which is your traditional one-year lease or two-year leases. And then you have the short-term leases, which is our like Airbnbs. You have uh, fix and flips where you purchase a property and then you're, you have no intention on keeping it, but you're going to fix it up and then resell it right away. So there are so many different facets. You may think, I want to get into real estate. I want to start buying my first property. Find out what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, How are they moving? What relationships do they have? And tap into that resource. There's no need to recreate the will. The will is there. Just get involved. Absolutely. There are people doing what we want to do. And so getting plugged in to learn from them is so, so critical. So talk to us now a little bit. You mentioned we needed to know our personal financial statement. What does that actually mean when we need to know our numbers? So when I say you need to know your numbers, you need to know, you know, how much can you afford to pay in a secondary mortgage? Because I'm assuming that if you're looking to invest that you have Either if, if you're renting, because there are some renters who are investing, or mm-hmm. if you have your own mortgage, what is your tolerance for an, another mortgage payment? What does that number look like where it's not going to impact your current lifestyle, livelihood, things of that nature, right? And then it's understanding what are the costs associated with this new purchase, meaning how much am I going to have to put down? How much are closing costs? If I don't find somebody to uh, rent out my property right away, can I handle making that payment myself, Mm -hmm. right? How much is it going to cost 
to rehab this property if that's the avenue I'm looking at. And it's formulating those numbers to understand, okay, I know I need to have $50,000 set up for this. And I know that realistically, I can afford to pay X amount of dollars over any event. It takes me a while to get somebody into my property. And then also understanding that you should have some type of reserve account for incidentals, right? It's another property. If you're not a landlord, so if something goes wrong with the property, you have to fix that. And then it's not always something going wrong. Depending on where you're at, there may be seasonal things you have to do. Landscaping, snow removal, right? Mm -hmm. These are things that are not necessarily a bad thing, but it just comes with ownership and it comes with being a landlord. Have you accounted for those separate amenities? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. So basically we need to make sure we have a budget. So we're clear on how much can we afford to spend on this second mortgage in the event we don't have someone in. And then also how can we pay for any upcoming expenses that may result as literally owning a business? Correct. Correct. Love it. Love it. Okay. So now let's talk about options because we hear a lot. There's so many ways that people can get started in real estate. You talked about a few, whether it's you want to buy and hold, you want to fix and flip. We've heard about house hackings. Tell us, you mentioned we got options. So talk to us about what those options look like. How do we, how do we know what to choose? That's why you got to talk to your lender, okay. <laughs> right? So, so we're circling back <laughs> to the beginning. You talk to your lender because your lender is going to have a pool of options for you, mm-hmm. depending on that conversation that you have with your lender, mm-hmm. right? So there are options to purchase with using the rental income from the property to qualify. Okay. Right? So that option is DSCR, says for debt service coverage ratio. Okay. Um, so there are programs like that where I may not necessarily have to show tax returns, pay stubs, right? The rental income from that property can help me qualify for that property. Wait, uh, hold on. Wait a minute. So because that's where people already, they always are like, wait, you know, we need two years of this or, you know, all of these things. But if I find a property that already maybe has a renter in it and I'm just going to buy it from the seller, I can use that income to help me qualify to cover for the loan? Absolutely. And it's it's different than when you purchase a primary residence. Let's say you're mm-hmm. purchasing a multifamily as okay. your primary residence, right? And you're, let's, let's stay with easy numbers. You're using a two-family. You're going to live in one unit. You're going to rent out the second unit. Mm-hmm. Let's say the second unit rental income is $1,000. We mm-hmm. know rent is much higher than that. But just for number's sake, let's say it's $1,000. Right, uh-huh. you you're moving grandma in. You don't want to charge grandma full rent, <laughs> right? So you have a thousand dollars when you do, when you purchase a, a multifamily as a primary. We can use seventy five percent of the rental income as additional income to help you qualify. So we're going to take seven hundred and fifty dollars and add it to your income to mm-hmm. help you qualify. Well, when you purchase an investment property and you utilize this program, the DSCR, Debt Service Coverage Ratio, we use the full rental amount. So if the mortgage payment is $2,000 and 
and your rental income is $2,000, the debt of the mortgage is being serviced or covered by the property. And so now you can use that property to help you qualify for the property. It's a huge, huge game changer because in that instance, you don't have to go with the traditional, I got to show you two years of tax returns, Mm -hmm. two years of W-2s, right? Because the reality is a lot of investors are self-employed, they're entrepreneurs, and rightfully so, they take advantage of their tax deductions. So their bottom line number mm-hmm. may not necessarily reflect enough income to purchase this property. Well, it no longer has to. As long as the property, the rental is covering the debt, we can do it. And there are some times where if the rental is a little bit lower, we can do it. You just got to offset maybe with a higher down payment or something like that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, the property is basically qualifying itself. Wow. Okay. So this is where people really need to pay attention then because if they're able to find a property and this can be for a single family, multifamily, any type of property. Is that right? That is correct. As long as it's an investment property, single family up to, I have one investor that will go up to 15 units. Really? Yes. Oh, I was thinking this is like, you know, we stay at our little one to four unit no. lane. Oh, oh, no. the game changes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we, we can go up to 15 units on this particular program. Okay. So the rents from however many units you have, as long as that will cover the mortgage amount, then the person would only have to come up with the down payment in order to qualify for the loan. Is that right? That is correct. And how much are those down payments? What's the range for what that would likely be? So typically, so if you're staying in that one to four we're probably going to be in that 20% down payment range. Uh, Once you start getting into those high uh, quantity units, you know, five, eight, 10 units. Now we're going to be looking at 25 to 30% down. Okay. Okay. 20, 25, 20% on average between that one to four and then 25 to 30 when you start getting five to 10 plus units a piece. Correct. Okay, got it. Now let's circle back because you said something really interesting that I want us to spend some time on when we talked mm-hmm. about living, if you're getting the multifamily, living in one unit and renting out the other. And so that's really popular right now. We call it house hacking. So tell us yes. more about how people can qualify if they were thinking about house hacking. So I encourage anybody that's a first time. So if you're a first time home buyer and you have the opportunity, to go with a multifamily, you should go there first. Okay. Here's why. That whole house hacking is true. Because I just mentioned, if you're purchasing an investment property, you're looking at a minimum 20% down. Mm -hmm. Okay? Even if it's a single family, it's 20% down. If you do a multifamily as your first purchase, you can do that with as little as 3.5% down. So one two, three, or four units, you could do three and a half percent down payment. Wow. Now, you live in one unit, you rent out the other units. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's called house hacking is because now you can purchase a four unit. You had the rental income from the other three units. That's basically going to cover that mortgage payment for you. 
-hmm. You only put down three and a half percent. And now you're going to purchase another property. And now this other property, you could say, I'm going to live in this one. And now you can do it again and put down 5%. And now you have two properties and you put down a total of less than 10%. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. Okay. So let's say we get a four unit, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm living in one, I'm renting out the other three. So already the rent from those three units, that's going to qualify that 75% of that is going to add on to what I can afford, meaning inevitably what I can afford is going to be a larger amount. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I can live in there and that's essentially covering my whole mortgage for all four. So I'm not paying anything technically, my biggest bill my mortgage slash rent, I'm no longer responsible for. That's the first part. Okay. So then let's say, because I'm really a savvy investor. I'm their realtor, so they already know the game. So we're going to save the money that I would have been spending on rent mortgage to buy my next property. And you mean to tell me I can get another, let's say I get another multifamily, another two, three, four door property, and I still only have to put 5% down. Right. In many cases, you will only have to put 5% down because it's going to be an owner-occupied property. So you won't be able to do FHA anymore because okay. FHA has some restrictions. You mm-hmm. So you can have more than one FHA at a time, but you have to meet all of the parameters. Right. right? So I would say for the purpose of this conversation, you use your FHA. Mm-hmm. All right. But now you can go conventional and there are conventional programs that will let you purchase a multi-family unit with 5% down. And so you can do that now. And now you have multiple doors wow. with 8.5% down. So I could potentially get eight doors with 8.5% down. Potentially, yes. <laughs> potentially. We gonna, let me find out. We're going to find these multi-families. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what type of background? Because I'm assuming that, of course, there's credits, certain credit requirements in order to qualify for these programs. Talk to me about what that looks like. So on the the first one, on the FHA, many lenders will go down as low as 580 credit score. So now I don't, I'm not an advocate of the 580, right? (laughs) We we don't work in minimums here, right? So we want to strive for, for better. But, you know, sometimes things happen, like life happens to us and maybe the credit is not necessarily reflecting some of the work that we've been doing and the scores a little bit on the lower side, FHA will go to 580. I will say to be at your optimum, right? We need to probably be a 640 or above. 640 or above, more options open up. It's it's a little bit less stringent on you as the borrower as far as what you have to show the underwriter in order to get approved, right? So I want everybody listening to understand when we lend as a lender, It's risk-based lending. Mm -hmm. So if your credit score is lower or you're putting down the very minimum, your risk is higher. So now, you know, we may ask for certain things because it's risk-based lending versus somebody who has a higher credit score, maybe a larger down payment, you know, things of that sort. Uh, So I would say 640 ideally is where we will want to be. But if you're below that, call Tiffany. Call your lender. Hopefully that's me. 
right? And let us walk you through it because there are also ways we can help you increase your score, right? And we can get you from 590 to 620. Mm-hmm. So we can help you out in that regard. So I would say, ideally, you want to be a 640. On the conventional side, the minimum is 620. Same principles apply. Ideally, you want to be a 680 on the conventional side. So okay. if, you're are below, if you are below 680 conventional, then you need to compensate for that lower credit score with maybe a larger down payment. Maybe you have some reserves, right? Maybe your debt to income ratio is a little bit lower, right? So it's you want to strengthen your overall file. Mm-hmm. If you know there's a deficit in one area, the best way to make up for it is to be strong in another area. Got it. Okay. Now you talked about the underwriter. For folks who aren't familiar, tell us a little bit about what that underwriting process is like and how they can be in the best position for it. Sure. So the underwriter is the one that actually issues the approval on your loan. So I, as a lender, I don't have the authority to actually approve the loan. That's why we issue pre-approvals, right? So as a lender, I'm going to collect in a traditional setting, W-2s, pay stubs, bank statements, maybe tax returns, depending on the type of employment you have. And we're going to analyze all of those supporting documentations. So we're going to look at the pay stubs, make sure there's no abnormal deductions, child support, maybe an IRS payment, any type of liens, garnishments. So we're looking at the pay stubs. We're looking at the bank statements, not necessarily to see your spending habits, right? We don't we don't care how much you go spend per se, but we're mainly looking at the deposits. What's going into the account? Are they income related? You know, where is this income coming from in order to purchase? That's what we're looking at the bank statements for. Obviously, we're looking at your W-2s because we want to know how much money are you making on an annual basis with your employer, right? And then if you're self-employed and we're going traditional, we look at the tax returns to look at any deductions and things of that nature. So I'm analyzing all of this information and then I'm saying, okay, Tiffany, I looked at all of your information and it looks like you qualify for 750000 Period. So I, right. <laughs> so I, I send you a pre-approval letter and now you go shopping. You get your offer accepted. We send out disclosures. You send them back. Now the file goes to an underwriter. Now the underwriter is going to take that information and they're going to go based on the program that we choose. Mm-hmm. They're going to plug that information and make sure that it fits all of the guidelines Right. And the requirements for that program. So an FHA and you can you can Google an FHA handbook or Fannie Mae guidelines. It's hundreds and hundreds of pages of guidelines that the underwriter has to ensure that what we're submitting meets the guidelines for approval. Once they issue the approval, now we can go ahead and close on the property and take ownership of that property. Wow. Okay. Okay. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, how long is a pre-approval good for? So that's going to vary from lender to lender. Okay. Typically, my pre-approvals, I, I typically have them last for 90 days. And the reason I do that is when we run your credit, your credit report is good for 120 days. Mm-hmm. So I set the pre-approval 30 days shy of that just so that if we start running towards the end, 
we can start letting our borrowers know, listen, we really only have 30 days left and then we're going to have to repull your credit. Mm. So the, the pre-approval is typically good for as long as your credit doesn't expire. As long as it's okay. within that expiration time, that's how long the pre-approval will last for. Okay. And when you get that pre-approval, is that a hard inquiry on your credit or a soft pull? Typically, it's, typically it's going to be a hard pull. Okay. So people now need to be do, mindful about that. Right. Now, we do have the, the ability to do soft pulls. And on soft pulls, I can issue pre-qualification letters. So if you're not quite ready to, to go ahead and pull the trigger, but you want to know your numbers and you want your realtor to be able to show you properties, we can do the pre-qual. And my pre-qual is a little bit more detailed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because I want to make sure that this person, they're not wasting your time and they're not wasting their own time. Right. So we're going to go a little bit in depth as far as what they can do. But in order to issue a solid pre-approval, we will need to see a tri-merge report, which will be a hard inquiry. Okay. Okay. Now let's talk about interest rates a little bit. We know Uh-oh. interest rates. <laughs> <laughs> so we getting these pre-approvals, we figuring out how much money we have to spend, but these interest rates, they're steady creeping up. And so talk to us about one, what you're seeing right now, but also how does that interest rate, how does it really impact what we either going to be paying for our mortgage or when we think about our overall budget, how should we be thinking about that? So the first thing I would say as it pertains to interest rates is don't be scared of the interest rates, right? Right. Uh, There's a a popular phrase that says, marry the house, date the rate, Mm -hmm. right? And the reason why is because you're right. Interest rates fluctuate not only daily, but sometimes multiple times a day, right? Mm. It's, it's a certainty that rates are uncertain. So they fluctuate, they move up and down. It is what it is. That's something that you cannot control. Mm-hmm. So while it's important because the interest rate is really going to dictate a large portion of what your mortgage payment is or will be, it shouldn't be a reason not to move forward because you perceive the interest rates to be slightly high. Okay. So I, I want to first start off with that because I have a lot of people saying, well, maybe I should wait, mm-hmm. you know, don't wait because the longer you wait, I, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. This is what I believe, right? This is what I believe with the market. Okay. I believe that the interest rates are going to come down probably within the next 12 to 18 months. I think mm-hmm. we're going to see it come down. Mm-hmm. Right. So people that are saying they're going to wait, the reason why I think that's to their disadvantage it's because we have two main issues in real estate. Number one, we have a lack of inventory concern, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You have people who want to move. They want to sell, but they're, they have the lower interest rate. And so right. they're hesitant to move forward because they don't want to take on a higher interest rate. Mm-hmm. So that's the first issue we have is with inventory. And then the second issue we have is we just have people on the fence because they're concerned that I don't want to get a high interest rate right now. I'm going to wait. So you have waiters mm-hmm. and then you have those that are that are kind of stuck and don't want to get rid of their low interest rate and take on a higher interest rate. Right. Well, I believe when the rates do drop, which I believe they're going to, you're going to have a flood of people coming in yep. because now they're going to say, oh, wow, the rates have dropped. Now let me get involved. Mm-hmm. The So you're going to have the renters in the market Mm -hmm. 
And now you're going to have those sellers mm-hmm. who are waiting to, and they're going to be in the market. So what is that going to do? That's going to drive house prices yep. back up. So I'm telling individuals now, if you can afford to get in the game now, get in the game now. And then when the rates drop, refinance your rate. You can always lower your rate once the refi- once the, the market drops. Mm-hmm. Refinance it, take the lower rate. And now you're in a better position because you lowered your monthly payment. And with the increased activity in the market, you could potentially see your equity increase much faster because your neighbor now sold their house in this heightened market. And now that affects your equity. Right, right. Right. So I would say that's something to consider. Don't worry about, you know, all oh, the interest rates are high. I don't want to purchase now. If you look at the grand scheme of thing, I've been doing this, like I said, almost 20 years. The interest rates, they are high, but they're not absurd. Right. Mm-hmm. Pre-pandemic, we were in the fives, the sixes. That's where right. we were. Right. And then we got comfortable and we got spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. In that 2.5, three and a half range, we, you know, mm-hmm. we got a, got spoiled a little bit. And so we went from there to these elevated rates, but it, it's, it's not crazy, you know? Right. So I would say date the rate, still do what you need to do, because when the rates do come down, which I believe they will, mm-hmm. you can always refinance it, lower your monthly payment, and allow the market to drive your equity up, because now you own the property. Versus mm-hmm. purchasing with the higher purchase price, even though interest rates dropped a little bit. Right. Now, talk to us about the refinance process. How does that work? Is there a time limit before you can? Tell us a little bit more about that. So the refinance, basically what you're doing is you're refinancing the terms of your mortgage. Okay. Right. So we're either going from a maybe a 30 to a 15 year term or 30 to 25 year term mm-hmm. or you're reducing your interest rate, right? Um, A third thing you could do is maybe pull, if you want to pull cash out. And I'm going to throw this plug in there too. Okay. All right. What good is a 3% interest rate on your mortgage if your credit cards are at 28% and you're, you're, you're struggling to, to, to make your mortgage payment because you have so much debt? Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. drowning in debt. I'm telling people, listen, the three percent interest rate doesn't really serve its purpose if you're drowning in debt. Right, right. I refinance. True story. I refinance uh, a young lady. She cashed out, paid off all her debt. Her rate initially was four percent. It went to seven percent. So mm-hmm. her rent, her interest rate almost doubled. Mm-hmm. But she saved twenty two hundred dollars in household and her monthly income. She saved twenty two hundred dollars a month because we got rid of all her debt. Twenty two hundred dollars. She has so much debt. We paid off everything. Wow. So now all she has is her mortgage, which our mm-hmm. payment did go up a little bit. Mm hmm. But the interest rate is much lower on that than it was on her credit cards. Right. Right. And she still gets the tax deductions at the end of the year on her mm-hmm. mortgage that she wasn't getting on her credit cards. Right. Mm-hmm. So now all she has is her mortgage and her car payment. That's it. She Everything can go else buy she a new paid property off. With that, come on. She get, right. She's saving twenty two hundred dollars a month, 
And she told me, she said, I never looked at it this way. She said, I was so afraid to get rid of my 4%. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, yeah, but you're you're stressed out every month. You're stressed out. Right. Right? So refinancing can really have a great purpose if you utilize it correctly. The process is similar to a purchase. Okay. With just without a seller. So you're, you're refinancing the terms. You have to redo title. The process can take anywhere to three to four weeks. It's not a long process at all. Okay. And depending on what you're doing, if you're lowering your rate or if you're cashing out, you know, it, it dictates how that mortgage process will go. But yes, yeah, it's, it's a fairly, fairly simple process. This is so good. This is why people need a lender on their team. So not just, this is not a one-stop shop and we just going to buy this house and then we done and we never talk again, but we can go from buying this first house, figuring out, it sounds like a whole strategy for, especially for us that are trying to build entire portfolios, but also Mm -hmm. if, and when life happens, we can figure out, okay, we have this asset. How can we leverage it? Whether it's getting rid of debt that we may have, whether it's pulling out money to buy another property, because I'm assuming the same way that she used that money to pay off her debt, she could have used that money if she didn't have the debt to put the down payment on another house. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about this before. The, the beauty about real estate is you get to spend the same dollar twice. Talk to right? us. Talk to us. Yeah. So you put down your down payment. Now you have this equity. And now you could take that same dollar, pull it out of this house, and put it in another property. Right? So absolutely, if somebody doesn't have debt, they could take out a home equity loan or they could do a cash out refi. They could take that money and purchase another property. Absolutely. Now, describe the difference between a home equity loan and a cash out refinance. So a cash out refinance is going to be one loan. You're going to pull the money out of the equity, mm-hmm. right? And you're going to just have the one loan again, and it's going to be the new term. So you're going to start your 30 years over again, or okay. if, you re- if you reduce your term, whatever your term is, you're starting at zero, but you have this lump sum of cash that you can basically do whatever you want with. Okay. That's the cash out refi. The home equity line of credit is almost like a credit card that's attached to the equity in your home. Mm-hmm. So if you pull out a home equity loan, let's say you want to pull out $50,000. You're only going to pay back what you use. So in essence, you have a second mortgage now. Okay. So you still got your primary primary mortgage, mm-hmm. but now I took out this second mortgage and as I use it is what I pay back. So you can pull out, take out a home equity line of 100000 call Tiffany. Tiffany's going to show you this great investment property. You realize you only need 40000 to make the process happen. Mm-hmm. You use the forty, you still got 60000 in your equity. Your payback is now based on the 40000 so a home equity line could be a very useful tool as well. Okay. Some people use that to tap into the equity without touching their primary, mm-hmm. especially if they have that lower primary rate. Mm-hmm. They kind of leave that alone and now just take the home equity line of credit. But you will have two mortgage payments at that point. Got it. And so with the cash out refinance, this sounds like you're pulling out the equity. Are you taxed on the money that you pull out for the cash out refinance? There are tax implications uh, as far as pulling out money okay. when you do a refinance. But, you know, talk to your accountant and mm-hmm. find out what the threshold is as far as, you know, what your tax implications may be. Got it. And then for the home equity line of credit, does that just 
So you're going to have a second mortgage. So let's say I had for my primary mortgage, my interest rate was 4%. Is that second line going to mirror that 4% or is it going to be based on current market trends right now? It's going to be based on current market trends right now. Okay. Okay. Right. So okay. you you leave your 4%. It, it, that doesn't change. You never touch that. Okay. But whatever the current market is, when you pull out your home equity line, that's what your interest rate will be based off of. And many Got times it. on a home equity, it's an interest only for like the first 10 years. So you can oh. use it and pay it back as you see fit. You know, a lot of people use it. And then once they sell their property or do what they want to do with the investment side, they right. just replenish the home equity line of credit. Okay. So interest only, that definitely gives people breathing room, especially if they're trying to get new properties, trying to get Correct. stuff situated. That's going to be a lot less than their principal plus their interest. Correct. Correct. Love it. Love it. Kevin, this is amazing. We already got to get you back because I know there's so much more <laughs> that you could be teaching us out here about this. You want to come back and join us another time? I would love to. I would love to. Love it. Okay. So before we wrap up, is there any piece of advice that you would give to a person that is wanting to get started with their first investment property? What would you tell them now, 20 years in the game, you've seen a lot of people do it well. What advice would you give them? I would say start. Get off the sidelines, stop thinking and analyzing and start. That's usually the biggest hurdle, right? A lot of times yeah. we have so many different fears that come with investing being a landlord, purchasing another property, just start. Make that phone call. Call your lender. Call your realtor. Let them put you in, into in contact with somebody that they have a relationship with to get you started and have that conversation. Because you'll never know, unless you have that conversation, what you can or cannot do. And the lender and your realtor, they're going to help navigate you to say, okay, listen, this is where we're at. And don't despise small beginnings. Mm. Your first investment property does not have to be the 15 unit apartment complex. <laughs> right, right. Right? Start off small, get in the game. Mm -hmm. Right? And then let your portfolio start to build its way up from there. But it all starts with a conversation. We just got to start. I love it. Kevin, where can the people find you? So you can reach out to me via my cell phone which is 732-947-1090. I am on Instagram, double underscore, Kev's Keys, double underscore. And I'm also on Facebook. You can just type in my name, Kevin Bullock, Mortgage For You, and I'm on Facebook as well. Love it. So we will have all of Kevin's information in the description of this. Definitely hit him up. Let him have a conversation. You are not binding anything, but you can definitely just start to explore your options. He's who I go to when I have a crazy idea. And so <laughs> I am so excited to get to have introduced him to you all. Kevin, thank you so much for the wisdom that you shared here with us for today. Listen, thank you for having me. This is a great platform. I'm sure somebody and multiple people will gain the education they need to move forward. So kudos to you. Absolutely. Thank you. We buying our way to wealth around here. So y'all have a great one. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Aid to Assets. Remember, your journey from nine to fiver to successful real estate investor is within reach. Keep learning, keep growing, and keep investing in your future. If you'd like to know more, connect with me on Instagram at Aid to Assets. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Until next time, happy investing.